From the campus of Stanford University and on location, this is the Entrepreneur's Radio Show and Podcast featuring in-depth one-on-one interviews with purpose-driven entrepreneurs and high-performance game changers committed to extraordinary ideas, preeminence, and multi-generational success. Our radio show and podcast illuminates the struggles, breakthroughs, and exceptional outcomes these game changers bring to industries, organizations, and lives. Hosted by Tom Dioro, principal of Podfather Media. Thank you, Tatum. For our guest today, let's welcome Rick McPartland. Rick founded the Revenue Game and developed Revenue Science to help companies focus on the business survival criteria to continually grow sales and profits. Rick has held uh, senior executive positions and consultant for many Fortune 500 firms, Sun Microsystems, for example, Siemens, Ernst & Young, Johnson & Johnson, Vistage, and hundreds of small companies. Rick shared uh, his passion for revenue generation as a science for more than 35 years at the conference board, professional conferences, Vistage CEO groups, and earned TEC Canada's USA, US 2008 Speaker of the Year. It's, uh, Rick's proudest achievement is the development of the revenue resources required and the cost of chaos metrics to manage the growth of sales and profits, regardless of what is going around particularly now. For more information, feel free to visit therevenuegame.com. Again, at therevenuegame.com. Rick, thank you so much. We're honored and uh, really excited to have you on the show today. Well, I am thrilled to be here. Every time we've uh, had a chance to talk, it's been fun and educational. <laughs> Rick, you know, Rick, thank you. I'd like to start off with a, uh, do you have a favorite quote or mantra that you, well, I don't necessarily say you live by, but it, it means much to you or it matters to you. I do. And it's, um, it's, it's one that a fellow Michigander gave to me, Wayne Dyer, if you ever read it. Yes, books. Wayne Dyer. Uh, one of Wayne's was, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Say that again, please, Rick. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Outstanding. Why does that mean so much to you, Rick? Well, having spent all this time on the, the revenue science piece, one of the things we've learned is so much of revenue science appears invisible until it impacts you. And then you look at it differently. And as terrible as the virus has been on a business side, it's helped us look at things like telemedicine and work from home and, you know, a list that could go on for pages and pages that were all true six months ago. But today we all look at them completely differently. And the way we look at them today has changed our basic beliefs, and in many cases has changed habits. And it's just that new view of something that was already here. Wow. That new, speaking of new view, there's a quote I like since I asked you one. It's by Marcel Proust, and I'm not sure I'm going to say it exactly, but it's uh, the world, uh, the true journey is uh, not so much through new voyages, but having new eyes, having new eyes. How, in your experience, do you 
help people, specifically professionals and business owners, have those new sets of eyes? Well, you know, Tom, that's one of the most difficult questions in our work because there's two general conditions. One where people are really happy with what's going on, which was probably January of 2020. And then there's the period when they're not happy with what's going on, which is today. And when they're happy, we, we talk about that being in a bubble. When people are in one of the bubbles and in economics, we know there's real estate bubbles and you know there's technology bubbles and whatever is going on in that space, if you're in there, you're probably doing okay and you're happy and you don't wanna do anything but fulfillment. Everything about your brain is I'm focused on fulfillment because people are out there willing to give me money almost regardless of what I do or how I do it. Now, when you're in the other situation, like today, when you're in a, a burst bubble, you're now asking the question, how do I control what appears to be a really tough situation? And so from our frame of reference, the hard part is when people are in a bubble and they're doing things that really are not good for them, but they won't pay attention to it until the bubble bursts. That, that's our challenge. When people do approach you, Rick, and understand or at least are curious about revenue science and how it could benefit and profit them, what usually is their state? What I mean by that is, are they not, I guess, uh, mea culpa is a bit too much, but just a state, a state of um, openness. Do they approach you as a, a thread that's a commonality between people who do approach you and say, hey, look, Rick, here's where we are. We kind of need help. And that, that is a great question. And one of the, one of the, the tools we use a lot is there's a, a historic thing called the diffusion of innovation curve. And we're all familiar with the curve. And on the left side of the curve are uh, early adopters and innovators. And on the right side of the curve are laggards and late adopters. And it's interesting that ones on the left side of the curve, the early adopters and innovators are almost always uh, open eyes, open ears, ask questions, want to learn. And they're, they're very receptive and eager to have a, a revenue science conversation where the, the people on the other side of the curve, uh, they, they don't want to have the conversation at all. They're protective of whatever it is they have at the moment, and they're only going to move when they're forced. Now, in between is the the opportunity for us to really make a big difference is get more and more of those people who are willing to learn from the Richard Bransons or you know, the Elon Musk of the world who are those innovators who look for change and look for growth and look for new things. How do we get more people recognizing it's in their best interest to do smart stuff? Uh, I've shared with you, Rick, before our show, my opinion, my strong opinion is that revenue science ought to be at least a major or taught at universities, perhaps even a, not perhaps at least at, as a graduate at a graduate level. What's your feelings on that? That revenue science ought to be an actual degree? Well, Tom, you couldn't have, you couldn't have asked a more passionate question of me. It's interesting. The, the two, two science groups that are very similar are medical science and revenue science. Because when you look at them, they're both combinations. I think medical science says there's like 78 different types of science underneath 
medical science. And revenue science, it's like 40 different types of sciences under it. And both of them are, are valuable because they're diagnostic and they recommend ways to treat problems or respond to opportunities. Now, the big difference between the revenue science and the medical science is on the medical science, the very first thing you do if you want to become a doctor is you learn the context of the medical science world. You, you go in as a GP, you do internships across the hospital, you learn all the basics, the common language, the common context of practicing medicine. On the business side, I think we do a terrible disservice because we, we people who wanna be in business, we don't give them a context, we make them accountants or we make them marketing people or product development or entrepreneurial or we put them in a silo and we never come back to them and say, now that you've mastered your silo, all your language, all your metrics, all your tools, you need to understand your context. We never say that to them ever. And then we wonder why inside organizations we have silos battling each other because each one believes what they do is the most important thing. Well stated. You're listening to the Entrepreneur's Radio Show and Podcast on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. We're talking today with Rick McPartland, founder of The Revenue Game and developer of Revenue Science. For more information, feel free to visit therevenuegame.com. Again, therevenuegame.com. Again, Rick, uh, as we uh, went into station break, you were talking about uh, the revenue science in as a actual discipline and uh, degree please continue yeah the business has has no context that's universally understood or medical science has a context you know in, in the in the science of business uh, accountants are sure that what they're telling the business to do is absolutely correct and marketing sure and sales is sure but that's because we have no umbrella over the top of it that says these are the fundamental truths of how revenue science operates. And you and I have talked before, one of the, the things we measure is the cost of chaos. And one of the genesis for chaos is when people in a business fight the science. Well, fighting the science is saying, I don't know what the context is, so I'm just gonna do whatever it is I do, whether it's, uh, whether it's enhanced or inhibited by the context. And most of the time, if you don't know it, you're gonna be wrong. So that's where the chaos comes from, because you're doing things that if you really understood, you would not do them. If you go back to medical science, I don't have, I'm ignorant of this, but at what point did medical science discover that there needs to be a foundation? I've tried to find that point of genesis, but it's certainly uh, more than 100 years and more than a couple of hundred years back. I think it almost begins with the Greeks because they really started to have conversations about kind of the general nature of medical help. And I think that just launched it. And, you know, obviously there are ebbs and flows, but I think it really started almost in the beginning. So, you know, they've had a long time to get really good at it on the medical side or on the revenue side. And I love where you were going. That's why it needs to be part of a curriculum. You know, it needs to be in there to say, if you're going to be an accountant, that's great but recognize accountancy has a, a purpose that is to support the whole generation of 
uh, revenue under the science, the revenue science context. And if you're a marketing person, what you do needs to support the revenue generation inside the context. You guys don't exist independent of each other. It sounds to me, correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds to me as if revenue science is not only a foundation, but it's also the at the apex and all the other subsets like marketing, accounting, sales, promotion, advertising are a bit of a sub subset. Is that correct? At least absolutely. Right. They're okay. You know, they're they're tools that help you accomplish the goal. And statistically, the one thing that assures a company will survive is if it can continually produce more profitable revenue. Yeah. If it can't do that it immediately becomes insignificant and then eventually goes out of business. And so if the only goal of survival is to continually produce more profitable revenue, then revenue science is that context, marketing and sales and uh, accounting and finance and product development fit under to accomplish that goal. This is uh... This is amazing. I'm fascinating by this, Rick. Uh, where, what examples can you provide of either existing clients? You don't have to name names or companies or even organizations that are uh, a general audience would be familiar with who really do put into practice whether they're uh, conscious of of the the foundation and the apex of revenue science. What companies do you know or if you work with that do do this? Well, I I will give you an example. It's first time it's rare if somebody does it all and partially because they need to learn it. And while I would love to think, you know, most of our relationships with clients last years, but we were, as you mentioned, Sun, we were with Sun 15 years, but our small consultancy inside Sun, even over 15 years, believe me, we didn't change the, the essence of Sun, regrettably. But uh, I'll give you an example. We did uh, uh, Johnson Johnson, because that's a name people will know, was our client for about seven years. And when and this will give you an example of both the issues and define cost of chaos and then talk about what happens when they fixed it. They asked us to come in and look at a new product launch and tell them whether or not they were going to hit the goals they promised the board. And we came back and said, no, you're not even going to be close. And in the conversation, they wanted to know why. And we said, well, one of the reasons was you assumed that your salespeople would sell these products 10 hours a week and that there'd be this many dollars for every hour they sold and that that would get you to your number. And it's a logical thing to think. But the truth is your salespeople, they work 60 hours a week, but all week long in 60 hours, they only sell four. So you were thinking they were going to sell this product 10 and they got three other products. So immediately, you're just not going to be able to get that done. And so to their credit, you know, we also told them, your team sells four hours. You're the first billion dollar client that ever sold that many. Most of them sell close to one, one hour a week. And so we said, you know, don't beat yourselves up too bad. You're four times better than anybody else we've ever seen. Oh, jeez. So they, they asked us to come back two years later. And in that two years, they didn't change the product. They didn't change the people for the most part. They just changed the process. When we measured it two years later, they didn't work 60 hours anymore. They worked 50. 
they didn't sell four hours. They sold 10. Ooh. So when you step back and look at that, because they changed the process, now all the people have a day off that they didn't have before because they used to work 60. Now they work 50. And they're selling two and a half times as much. So when we look at what happened, turnover dropped drastically. The amount of people they had to hire, of course, dropped equally as much. So the cost of recruitment, the cost of training, all of those costs just disappeared. And now your territories aren't empty because your people are leaving because you're working them to death. So you didn't have these gaps where there was no coverage in the territory. And so when you look at the cost of chaos and the impact on your business, it's that ability to step back and think of it in the context of what do you want to accomplish. And so it wasn't just a marketing issue or a selling issue or an organizational process issue. It was all of those working together to make the salespeople's work much more uh, doable, making the goal more reachable. So that is, hopefully that's a good example. Yeah, that's excellent. Rick, I uh, I like this engagement, like how do we engage? I took it directly from your side is we help clients generate reliable, repeatable, and profitable growth. I would think as a business owner, whether it's a person, a sole proprietorship or a company of 100,000, that you'd be at least uh, curious to find out, look, here's where we are. Here's where we would like to be. Let's say it's 2021, 20, uh, 20, 2022. Here's where we'd like to be. Here's the way we think we're going to get there. Can you take a look at us and see if this is accurate or this is going to get us there? Do many CEOs or founders approach you with that sort of, uh, for lack of a better word, just curiosity? Tom, that's almost always where we start. Okay. It's interesting. When people ask that question, the answer, my, my answer to them is surprisingly simple, very basic. And that is, if you're going to have predictable outcome, you have to be going someplace intentionally. And we call that a revenue strategy. You know, companies say they have a business strategy. But if you ask businesses, I got it, you have a business strategy, you have your mission, vision, values, and you got budgets, you got all those two things. But if you want to generate revenue, you need a revenue strategy. If you were a manufacturing company, you wouldn't go into the factory and not know what your production strategy was. You'd know what kind of machines you need and raw material and all those things. So if you're going to go out into the world and get revenue, what's your strategy? And it's simple. It's five questions. If you can answer these five questions, you're on the path to predictable revenue over a long period of time. Now, if you can't answer these five questions, you need to. Because the second issue, and this is where whatever the size of the company, we, we get lost. And that is, even if you answer the five questions, and I'm sure you've had people on, on here talking about, well, which is more important, strategy or execution? And I would tell you that's a not a very productive conversation. But you have to have a strategy. You got to know where you're going. And you have to be able to execute. The part that is missing 
in revenue science, we say get a revenue strategy that is deployable. Deployable means that you have the structure in place that the people who are responsible to execute have everything they need. Because if they don't have, and I'll tell you a quick story in my own career, I worked for McDonnell Douglas, and we used to sell things almost always a million dollars or more. As soon as we sold something, we had to quit selling for six weeks because our own company couldn't figure out how to book the deal, how to schedule it for manufacture, how to get the clients trained that they had to have so that we could deliver the product. There was a whole list of things that my own company couldn't take care of. So I had to do it if I wanted the client to actually finalize the, the deal and accept it when it was done. And so that's part of the deployable structure. If you set a strategy, oh, I want to go sell this stuff. Now I went out and did it, but in between all the parts were missing. We couldn't contract it. We couldn't deliver it. We couldn't train it. We couldn't support it. And of course it fell apart. So it's strategy, deployable structure, execution. Then regular everyday people can do a great job executing if you've done a good job having a deployable structure based on a strategy. Excellent. This is the Entrepreneur's Radio Show and Podcast on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. We'd like to do our public service announcements in uh, acknowledgement and recognition for Shriners Hospitals for Children. Shriners Hospitals for Children's mission is to provide the highest quality care to children with neuromusculoskeletal conditions, burn injuries, and other special health care needs with compassionate, family-centered, and collaborative care environment. Shriners provides education of physicians and other healthcare professionals while conducting research to discover new knowledge that improves the quality of care and quality of life of children and families. For more information, you can go to ShrinersHospitalsForChildren.org. That's ShrinersHospitalsForChildren.org. Thank you very much for uh, your uh, recognition and honor of Shriners, Rick. Appreciate that. My pleasure. We're talking today with Rick McPartland, founder of The Revenue Game and developer of Revenue Science. For more information, you can visit the website of therevenuegame.com. That's therevenuegame.com. Rick, segue into the, uh, the strategy execution, the execution deployable structure, the client-centric versus operation-centric. That's, that's kind of what I've come up with is this, this uh, revenue science to me, sounds much more client-centric than operational-centric or even numbers-metric. Is that somewhat tr true or accurate, or am I... That, that is completely true. There's a great book. Uh, Greenspan wrote a book called Capitalism in America, and fairly recent book. And one of the things he does a great job of, of calling out is, for about 150 years, starting shortly after the Civil War, the... The, the market was controlled by big manufacturers. They controlled the information, the products, the, the quality of the products, the price, and people, for the most part, unsophisticated buyers, because once Edison created a, an electricity, people actually tried to blow out the electric lights. I mean, they weren't sophisticated buyers. And so people would buy what the sellers were selling. Well, fast forward from after the Civil War till about 2000, 
when we've got Google and Yahoo and Amazon and eBay, those things switch the power from the manufacturer to the buyers. And today, buyers don't eat, 70% of buyers don't want to talk to sellers until they've made a decision. Because first, they don't really believe the, the, the seller. And secondly, they don't need to waste their time because all the information's on the web. So today, and it's getting clearer and clearer that if you're going to be successful, you will design your business from your buyer's frame of reference backwards. And that your intellectual property, whatever it is you do that's cool, needs to be attached to the buyer's problem they want to solve or the goals they want to accomplish. And so the, the winners from now on are going to be people who think about their buyer first and then how do I apply my secret sauce so that my buyer's world gets better than any other choice they have? So that's that's what's going to be happening in the future. That would trust. That's yep. the only word I can think of is that trust. How Obviously, it's an important factor, but... How, I believe we're entering an age of trust. I mean, I don't know if it's official yet. You know, we have age of information. And, but trust, is, to my uh, my view, is going to be number one, number two, and number three. How do you solidify that level of trust with your client in your experience and, and vision? Well, that's just such a great question. And one of the things that people don't think much about until it's a problem is they don't think about what's the purpose of my company and what's the culture of my company that's supporting that purpose? And in revenue science, those five questions we talked about really start right off with the, the questions are about, do you have a purpose? Do you have a reason that you're out here other than you want other people to give you money? That's a mercenary and mercenaries aren't going to have long lives in today's economy. And then the, the second thing is, you know, how do you align? That's why that, uh, that three levels of strategy, deployment, structure, and execution are all aligned so that you build a culture around accomplishing your purpose. And your purpose, if it starts from that buyer's frame of reference, now all of a sudden this is actually doable and it's actually easier than what we're doing now. Mm. Tap into that culture a bit. Have a culture of revenue strategy and revenue science and understanding that that's a foundation and an apex at the same time. How, uh, how have you gone about helping to develop the culture while still having the company still having their own voice? Well, the, you know, that's a great question. And often where companies get sidetracked is they, they design everything from the headquarters out. And they use language like, let's go upsell. Let's increase our wallet share. Uh, you know, let's uh, cross-sell. No buyer wants anybody to do any of those things to them. I mean, I've asked thousands of CEOs, how many of you want vendors who get up in the morning and want more of your wallet share? They want to cross-sell you, upsell you. How many of you want that kind of partner? I've never had anybody raise their hand. So I think I can safely say that Vendors, partners, suppliers who are only there to make money and they're not there for the good of their buyer, they got a hard battle. But if 
people, if their purpose is to transfer, and this is the other language we need to get conscious of, if the purpose is to transfer a particular type of value to the buyer so that the buyer's world gets better, and there's a great book, Three Rules of Exceptional Companies. And the three rules are first, it's always about better before cheaper. So when you're dealing with your customer, if you're always making your customer better, then you talk about money. But if you're not making them better, you probably shouldn't be there at all. The second rule is internally, you think about revenue before cost. And so when we think of our own strategy, if we're helping our clients get better, then we're going to get more revenue. And so that's what our purpose is. And so we should strategize from that frame of reference. And then the third rule is, if you make your customer better, you're always growing your revenue. There are no other rules. That's the third rule. Make the first two work. And so when an organization starts with that purpose of transferring more value to make their buyer better, and then their culture is aligned in that through deployment and execution, it's a lot of fun. That's great. Rick, is there anything that we may not have touched on during your show that you'd like to share with your audience today? Honestly, Tom, you ask all the questions that I get really excited about. But these last two about culture and purpose, because the, the world today, the employees today, whether it's the millennials or I think it's all of us, we now have a visibility to see that it's more important to transfer value to others. And when you transfer value to others, they are happy to compensate you for that. So the truth is, you're best off when you're making your clients better off. And so I think that's kind of the the fundamental piece we all got to remember that if we do, we apply revenue science correctly, we have a, a purpose of making more value transfer to our client for which we'll get compensated. And we create a culture where people like doing the work. Rick. It's always an honor and pleasure having you. And thank you so much for being on uh, the Entrepreneur Show today. Thank you very, very much. Well, thank you, Tom. I I always enjoy our, our time together. Thank you. You've been listening to the Entrepreneur's Radio Show and Podcast. Our guest today has been Rick McPartland, founder of The Revenue Game and developer of Revenue Science. Revenue Science helps companies focus on the business survival criteria to continually grow sales and profits. Rick's uh, held senior executive positions and consulted for many Fortune 500 firms, among them Sun Microsystems, Siemens, Ernst & Young, Johnson & Johnson, Vistage, and hundreds of small, smaller companies. He shares his passion for revenue generation as a science for more than 35 years at the conference board, professional conferences, Vistage CEO groups, and earned TEC Canada's U.S. 2008 Speaker of the Years. His proudest achievements is the development of the revenue resource required and the cost of chaos. Metrics to manage the growth of sales and profits no matter what is going on around you. For more information, feel free to visit TheRevenueGame.com. Again, TheRevenueGame.com. Join us again next time when we welcome another purpose-driven entrepreneur or high-performing game-changer committed to ideas, positive outcomes, and a better world. I'm Tom Dior. The Entrepreneur's radio show and podcast is recorded at Stanford University Studios in Palo Alto, California, and on location. 
The chief audio engineer is Eris Jacopoulos. Chief engineer is Mark Lawrence. And we are all assisted by Peter Caroline and Omar L. Sabrao. And the executive producer and host of The Entrepreneur's Show is Tom Dior. If you wish to contact us, our email is interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again, that's interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. 